The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Rev. Galen McDowell, Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Hello, welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and... The founder is the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman. We're in the midst of a series based upon the book by or written by Eric Butterworth titled Discover the Power Within You. And today we're covering the chapter, the Jesus Teach Reincarnation. Now, I have requested that everyone who is following along with this series actually purchase the book. It's important that you actually have this book. It's just the first time you're hearing it. You can go back and listen to the MP3 files on my Facebook Facebook page, on my uh, web page on the Unity Online Radio website. Listen to all the old shows. Make sure that you're caught up. Read the book, and that'll make sure that you're where you need to be far as being caught up with the material that I have covered so far. So we want to get right into it because I want to make sure that um, we have enough time to really do this in a way that's I think is productive. And if anyone wants to call in and ask questions, um, you can do so because that's important as well, because we want to give you an opportunity to ask the questions if you need to, because, you know, depending on what you might want to get out of this process, you know, you might have a, a question that's burning in your heart. And if you do, you can call 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. But anyway, now, let's get to it. Before we actually get into the book, I wanted to do some baseline definitions about dealing with the subject of reincarnation and how it's taught by different people. In the New Thought uh, field, you have different people who emphasize it. Um, You have some who don't teach it. They teach eternal life, and life always will express itself, but not necessarily reincarnation or re-embodiment. You know, people like the the Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, the Unity brand of New Thought, um, strongly emphasize that uh, reincarnation uh, was a part of the helping the process of the unfoldment of the spiritual nature. And I'm going to get more into that shortly. Um, now, 
what Fillmore believed, as I covered last week, in the ability of the body to completely transform itself, spiritualize itself, and then take it off of this plane of existence. So his concept is not necessarily always in alignment exactly with um, how it was taught in other cultures. Now, if you go to page 166 in the Revealing Word, Charles Fillmore uh, is quoted to have written, when a soul leaves the body, it rests for a season. Then innate desire for material expression asserts itself and the ego seeks the primal cell and builds another body. This is reincarnation. Reincarnation will continue until the ego awakens to the Christ mind and through it builds an imperishable body. Yet again, he uses it in the concept of his understanding of regeneration. Other people who are, who teach reincarnation teach it as um, a way that the soul continues to grow and evolve until it awakens to a level of consciousness to where it doesn't have to have that process again. I'm not teaching you to discover the power yet because I want to lay some foundation and some context for what I'm saying. So it's really important that we understand what is being taught. In other words, the soul is going through process after process after process of lessons and uh, lessons to be learned, which I'm going to deal with in great detail shortly. Because what that does is, according to the theory, is allows the soul to experience itself and also work through some of the things that it needs to work through through the process of living. The Hindu um, uh, teachers many times call it karma. Now, I want to read this quote from uh, The Spiritual Journey of Charles Fillmore by Neil Val. And Fillmore um, talking about reincarnation. He says, God is no respecter of persons. There is but one universal law for all men. We have lived and died in us and since thought numerous times and will continue to do so until we overcome sin, sickness and death and raise our bodies to the place of the fourth dimension of Jesus Christ. The great men and women of past ages are the great men and women of today. As Shakespeare says, we are all merely actors on a great world drama, each one playing many parts. So, again, he's tying his belief into that mindset and it evolves greatly because what ends up happening is when we really study it, we'll, we, we, we find that he always tied it into humanity having opportunities to realize their potential. Uh, let me keep going. This quote is from the central Charles Fillmore uh, commentary by James Gaither. He says, uh, <clears throat> for Fillmore, reincarnation, this is page 363, by the way, for Fillmore, reincarnation is not something to be hoped for. And in that respect, his view is like the Hindu teaching that the goal of life is to get off the wheel of birth, death and rebirth. On the other hand, Hinduism holds that reincarnation is essential, is essentially a consequence of the law of karma. While Fillmore sees reincarnation as a gift, another opportunity to fulfill our Christ potential now moving on because i want to again give you some some more thought processes about how reincarnation is taught through the ages before we get to the actual book discover the power within you and giving you some resources if you want to go and look and read some things on your own you'll have the opportunity to do so with the internet so many things can be looked up even bought it you know, and use bookstores online and all type of stuff. This is from Reincarnation and World Thought by Joseph Head and S.L. Cranston. They have a quote in here from Robert, excuse me, from Huston Smith. And he's talking about the concept of reincarnation from the standpoint of Hinduism. And basically this book is how reincarnation is viewed by the different world religions and philosophers and sciences and different great thinkers of the past and present. And in the book, it talks about many people of the early church, of the early Christian church, and early Judaism, and and you know Buddhism and Hinduism and philosophers and and Islam and etc. People who taught reincarnation or reembodiment, you know. So we need to be realize that it's not something that's that 
just comes from one place. You know, obviously talking about some of the Greek philosophers like Plato and et cetera, Christ, early Christian writers like Origen and St. Clement, uh, you know, great Jewish Jewish writers and um, like the person who created what we now consider allegorical or metaphysical interpretation of scripture, Philo of Judea. Uh, I think it was Judea. His name was Philo. But anyway, um, who was a believer in reincarnation. So we're talking about giants throughout history. Not just something that was put off in the corner and and, and viewed with um, with reluctance to say, should I accept this or not accept this? But let me read this quote. Uh, it says, this is page 16. In the Hindu view, spirit no more depends on the body it inhabits than body depends on the clothes it wears or the house it lives in. When we outgrow a suit or find a home too cramped, we exchange these for roomier ones that offer our bodies freer play. Souls do the same. The mechanism that ties these new acquisitions together is the law of karma. Then it goes on and says karma means roughly the moral law of cause and effect. Science has altered the Western world to the importance excuse me, alerted the Western world to the importance of causal relationships in the physical world. Every physical event we are inclined to believe has its cause, and every cause will have its determinant effects. India extends this concept of universal causation to include man's moral and spiritual life as well. To some extent, the West has also, as a man sows, so shall he reap, or again, sow a thought and reap an act, sow an act and reap a habit, sow a habit and reap a character, sow a character and reap a destiny. These are the ways the West has put the point. All right. So, again, giving you some background information about how this material works. In the book Mansions of the Soul by H. Spencer Lewis, he has a beautiful quote. He says, in his writings, he's not dealing with the body like Fillmore is dealing with it. It's something that we have to stay in forever, forever. Here's a quote on page 42 where he says that uh, even the ancients were impressed with the significance in, in their philosophies, which gradually evolved into theological principles. We are constantly reminded of the fact that man is essentially a soul clothed with a body and not a body animated with a soul. That's two totally different ways of looking at that. A soul clothed with a body and not a body animated with a soul. He says on page 43, he says, finally, our survey of the theological and philosophical explanations of the spiritual part of man reveals a universal belief in the principle that the soul or consciousness of man was always a part of the soul of the creator or God and that it, it will live or exist or continue to function as long as God or the creator exists. That's deep. He also says we are reminded also by other points of explanation that the soul and man existed from the beginning of all time and must continue to exist until the end of time if there is such an end. These are ways that people are explaining what we now call reincarnation or reembodiment. One more quote from this book because it's really, really good. He really does a great job of explaining um, how we work through this concept of reincarnation. He says on page 44. The soul is therefore only temporarily resident within the physical body and cannot remain eternally in one body, since in that case the body would have to be immortal, as is the soul. Now, so his from his concept, you don't have to spiritualize the body as Fillmore believed. Then he goes on to say the mortality and corruptibility of the body cannot affect the immortality and incorruptibility of the soul. Therefore, there must come a time when the physical body in its corruption becomes disorganized and can no longer contain the soul essence. 
a change takes place, which is incorrectly called death, but which is merely a transition. That's key. And he asks a question that I'm going to leave you with. And you can, again, find the book on your own. He says, why is the soul of God or the creator's consciousness placed temporarily in a physical body? And what becomes of it after its release? So, again, that's the point of this book. And uh, it really goes into giving some really, really good explanations. Um, matter of fact, I'm going to give one extra quote from this book talking about reincarnation, which I think is very interesting. He says, I am tomorrow or some future day what I established today. I am today what I established yesterday or some previous day. I'm going to read that again. I am tomorrow or some future day what I established today. I am today what I established yesterday or some previous day. It really makes you think. Now, moving on. Moving on, uh, I have a couple of other things I want to address, but I want to read these questions that are actually in the book, Discover the Power Within You. If you go to page 212, and these are really powerful questions. He says, is this life but the preparation for another to come? How do we account for the inbred desire to live? Why are we not anxious to get into the next life? Even the most rabid fundamentalist who believes in the glories of heaven leaves no stone unturned in trying to heal an illness. Two, how do we account for the seemingly unfinished pattern of individual lives and the constantly progressive pattern of the, of the civilization that builds? Three, how do we account for the great inequality among men? While we are told that all men are created equal, is God then not a God of justice and fairness? Are we all supposed to arrive at the same goal even though we start on different levels? It would appear that some have a head start, while others commence with a handicap. Some are born with a silver spoon in their mouths, while others are born on the wrong side of the tracks. Some are born with normal, healthy minds and bodies, while others are born crippled or blind or with brain damage. Where is the justice? Fourth question. How can we say that a soul is created at a point in time and then survives the death of the physical body and goes on living forever? Isn't it illogical and unscientific to say that we survived the body but did not preexist it? That we have a beginning, but no end. So with those questions, those questions are basically what this chapter will deal with and what I want to deal with today during this show. These basic four questions on page 212 and the beginning of uh, 213. Why we work through, how we work through these questions matter. Now. Obviously, if you have any questions, again, I gave you the number earlier, but again, the number is 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. I want to remind you that you can also contact me through my Facebook page, which is Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. You can just, you know, ask the questions that you want to ask. A lot of people use that uh, 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 page to ask me questions. Anyway, I also want to remind you that this show and all the shows on Unity Online Radio are supported by your donations. And, you know, the scripture says to, to uh, you know, freely you have received, freely give. So I am asking for your support to make sure that we always have the physical substance needed to take care of the responsibility of sending out this message to the world. So click on the donate button, support unity so we can keep this process going on. 
We're going to take our first break and we'll be right back with Truth Transforms. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. Jest, there is truth. Shakespeare made the line famous. And at Holy Rascals, we've taken it to heart. Join us at HolyRascals.com, a spiritual education resource and community of spiritual boundary crossers who are on a truth-seeking journey that doesn't shy away from humor and frank conversations. HolyRascals.com offers cutting-edge webinars, short online videos, and podcasts. Our featured teachers are inclusive, radical, and often funny people who embrace the common heart of all religions. Find us on Facebook or check out our upcoming programs at www.holyrascals.com. From mayhem to miracle, from disaster to divine, Rants to Revelations Radio finds the opportunities for spiritual growth in everyday moments. Drawing from current headlines to pop culture, Reverend Ogan blurs the lines between the sacred and the profane, bringing meaning to the meaningless, with guests who are dedicated to transforming the world for good. Join Ogan live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central for Rants to Revelations Radio. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and we are covering the book Truth, excuse me, Discover the Power Within You by Eric Butterworth. I'm giving you some basic information about reincarnation because the chapter says that Jesus teach reincarnation. Now, before I go any further, because I'm about to go really into some deeper subjects when it comes to this concept because we have to address the questions that are in the book and a couple of scriptures I want to address as well. I do want to say that uh, many or most Bible scholars believe that what Jesus is referencing John the Baptist, et cetera, is possibly being uh, or not possibly being Elijah um, they believe that that means that he comes in the spirit or the ministry of it. Um, in Aramaic light on the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Rocco Erico is quote or wrote when Jesus was told that Elijah, when Jesus was told that Elijah must return before the coming of the Messiah, he was he answered that John the Baptist was Elijah. In other words, the spirit ministry of Elijah was acting through John the Baptist. So spirit in the sense of influence or the way it was done or in the, in the spirit of a thing, you know, you know, so they would say, you know, like a, a civil rights movement being in the spirit of Martin Luther King or a Gandhi, this in the spirit of, uh, whatever it is that you're trying to do. So I think that, for scholars who are not trying to deal with mysticism at any level for them it's easier to discount it but at the same time that doesn't mean that they're not right they could be completely right because they're studying culture the psychology language etc so sometimes we'll read a thing one way and then put our western 21st century assumptions on something that 
we might not understand in the first century Galilean Jew context. Anyway, moving right along. So what I want to address is some of those questions. And one of the ways I'm going to do this is I'm going to reference Power Through Constructive Thinking by Emmett Fox. Now, for anyone who wants to study reincarnation, especially from a new thought perspective, I would recommend getting this book. He has two chapters, two very long chapters in this book. One of them, one of them is called Reincarnation and the other is called Life After Death. And both of them are sold as separate booklets for like five dollars. But if you buy this one book, you'll get both of them and a whole bunch of other good stuff as well. And um I want to read some of the material in here and I want to read it all the way through because I want to make sure that all of it is heard. I think it's that important. I really do. This is page 227. He wrote, have you ever asked yourself why there's such a difference between one human lot and another? Have you ever wondered why some people seem to be so happy and fortunate in their lives while others appear to undergo such so much undeserved suffering i am sure you have because only a very selfish or very thoughtless person can fail to be challenged sooner or later by this problem why is one person so well placed in life having apparently having apparently everything done for him being born into a nice family carefully brought up given every advantage that money and culture can confer sent to good schools and launched into life with every advantage why is another boy or girl born into very difficult circumstances where it is all but impossible to make any advance in life? Why is one child born a cripple or born blind or born with a horrible disease while another child arrives in this world with a strong, clean, healthy little body certain to grow up well and sturdy? Why does one child reach manhood or womanhood and live to a, a ripe old age? Whereas another child is born and and after only a few weeks or a few months or even a few years dies without seemingly having lived to any purpose. In a certain old country churchyard, there's a tombstone dating from the 7th century. It marks the grave of an infant who died there three weeks in the epithet reads, since so soon done, why was I begun? He says, such questions call for an answer if we are to believe in the existence of God and in a universe governed by law and order. To the honest and fearless soul, the problem of inequality of, of human lives is one that clamors for solution. Men and women are not born free and equal. They are created free and equal. But they are not born so. He said, the Declaration of Independence does not say that men are born free and equal. It says that they are created so, which is a quite different thing. Men and women are not born free and equal, but start this life like horses in a handicap race. No two bearing an equal burden. Now, why should this be? If indeed God is love and if God is just and if God is all powerful. Well, the answer is this life that you are living today is not the only life and that it cannot be understood when judged by itself. The answer is that you have lived before, not once, but many, many times, and that in the course of these many lives, you have thought and said and done all sorts of things, good and bad, and that the circumstances in which you were born are but the natural outcome of the way in which you have lived and comported yourself in your former lives. You are reaping today, for good or evil, the results of the seeds that you have sown during these many previous lives. The Bible says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And the text states the truth, and it cannot be made to mean anything else. Moving on to page 229. You who read these words have lived many, many times before, in different ages, in different conditions, under different skies, and in different civilizations. 
Many times you have been a man and many times you have been a woman. You have probably been very rich and very poor and probably you have sometimes been highly placed in the world and sometimes your place has been lowly. Some of those who are at the bottom or of our social ladder today have walked the earth as kings, as presidents, as generals and admirals and high priests. And some who now sit in the seats of the mighty surrounded by pomp and circumstance have toiled as simple peasants in days gone by, pulled an oar or a galley or wore the chains of the slave. And you, yourself, in future ages, Centuries from now, very likely, will return to this earth plane to be born again as a baby in some family and grow up and probably marry and live out another life. Now, I'm going to skip over a couple of things that he wrote because I want to get to the gist of that. That was a lot of material to cover, but I want to make sure that you get it all. So I'm reading it completely because I don't want you to miss anything. This is from page 234. Power through constructive thinking. Why is reincarnation necessary? Why should life have to develop in that particular way? The reason is this. We are here on the earth planet to learn certain lessons. We are here to develop spiritually. We are here to acquire full understanding of and control over our mentality. And this cannot be done in one lifetime. Why not? Why do we come back and back and back many times to this earth for short excursions of perhaps 70 or 80 years instead of, let us say, finishing it up in one very long lifetime of perhaps a thousand or even several thousand years? The explanation lies in man's mental laziness and inertia and his reluctance to change himself radically, to pull himself out of a rut when when once he gets into it to adopt new ideas and adapt himself to changing conditions. The explanation lies in man's conservatism and tendency to self-satisfaction and above all in his ignorance of his own unlimited potential. And these are the very things that he is here to overcome. Moving on. Moving to page 237, again, laying foundation for you, all right? He goes on to say, Now you will see that nature can have no object in keeping the middle-aged man alive for hundreds or thousands of years because he is no longer much of much use to her. Nature wants new things in new ways, always something new and something better, and the crystallized mentality is not ready for this. So her only remedy when crystallization sets in is to remove him from the earth plane altogether, send him to the etheric planes for rest, reflection, assimilation, and general readjustment, and then bring him back again once more as a baby to experience a new youth and a new period of spiritual production. Now let me stop here just for a moment. What she's basically saying, what he's basically saying, because I skipped over some things, is this. In the process of living a life, we pick up based upon our conditioning, our culture, our traditions, our race, our gender, uh, our upbringings, etc. And just the general, uh, he calls it race thought. Some people call it race consciousness. The collective human consciousness is an easy way of understanding it. We get crystallized in and our ways of being. In other words, this is what I believe. This is who I am. This is how I do things. This is right. This is wrong, etc. And eventually, people stop growing and seeking to push themselves to grow, to evolve, to change, to uh, to do the things needed to continue to grow in consciousness. So after a point of living, many people stop evolving. They don't read. They're not, they're not a process of learning any new skills. They're not, the passion and desire for evolution slowly diminishes. So part of the process of that is when those things start to happen to a soul, it's time to release the attachments, your family, your friends, your beliefs, your prejudices, your biases, etc., and start over fresh. 
That's what he's saying. Because we get attached to things and we give meaning to everything. Therefore, those things become the things that bind us to uh, a certain way, certain ways of being. Now, moving on, same book, Power Through Constructive Thinking, page 241. Okay, Uh, this is really good. He says, <laughs> this is this this can be tough for folks and 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 as I'm reading this I want I'm I'm requesting that you put no judgment around it so please make sure that you don't he says no one sent you to the family or selected it for you being the soul that you were it was a, as natural and indeed as inevitable that you you should go there as it is natural for a certain drop on the continental divide to find its way ultimately into the Pacific or into the Atlantic, according to circumstances. Always remember that at the moment before birth, one is dealing not with a new soul, but with a mature soul, the product of many lives. That soul has certain dominant characteristics, both good and bad. And under the cosmic law that like attracts like, it finds its own place. Now its own place is not only the place that fits it at the time, but it is the very place that furnishes it with just the opportunity it needs to develop still further its good qualities and overcome its weaknesses if it's so desires the soul gravitated to that particular family because at the beginning of its present life it has certain fundamental things in common with it it is true that sometimes the child seems to be very much out of place in his family but this is only an appearance underneath there is a fundamental family resemblance or the child would not be there it is also true that as children grow up, they usually grow apart from one another and from their parents. But nevertheless, at the time of incarnation, there were certain fundamental similarities. Again, it is true that children are often drawn into their families by what is called a karmic link, as I shall describe later on. But this link is merely another aspect of the fact that like attracts like. So... You know, and he goes on to explain a couple of other things that I'm going to get into very quickly. And then I'm going to deal with the book, uh, Discover the Power Within You, because I can't ex- teach everything that's in this chapter. That's why you need to read it yourself. He says on page 245 that reincarnation explains at once the difference in talents, which we find between one man and another, just as it explains all other differences. He goes on to say down further, child prodigies are always souls who required their proficiency in a previous life. And it is noticeable how often children are born in circumstances favorable for their talent. The child violinist often has a father with musical taste who puts a fiddle into his hand at the earliest possible moment. The gifted child actress appears in a theatrical family or is born right on the doorstep of Hollywood. And he gives example after example of example after example of how what we think is coincidence is just all a part of the, the the life lessons. One of the things that he does say in this book that I think is really important is that, and I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to explain it, that when we see people born in a certain circumstance, sometimes it's easy to judge well, these people are going through this because of their error thought or their error feeling or their error whatever, or their soul is paying for the karma or whatever. He comes from the, from the standpoint of you don't know what that soul is here to evolve or work through or what it might be a highly evolved soul that's working through some aspect that it needs to work through. So it's easy to point the finger and say, that's your consciousness. What I realized and what that soul came here to work through. You don't know. And I don't know. So instead of being judgmental, let's stay in love and support our brother or our sister when we can. And if nothing else, let's see them whole, perfect and complete in spirit as they're working through whatever processes they need to work through. 
one of the last excuse me things he mentions in the in that chapter is that Christ is Lord over karma. So whatever you have done through the process of lifetimes uh, is to naught when you realize that you're the Spirit of Truth incarnate. That when you realize that the Christ lives in you through you as you, your realization of your spiritual nature frees you from the karma of the past or the cause and effect. These are things that are important to know from the new thought perspective of reincarnation. All right, we're going to take our last break and we'll be right back with Truth Transforms. You have a coach in your corner, a life coach that is. Like a coach in sports, a life coach can help you set clear goals and develop the confidence and tools you need to achieve them. Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesdays at 3 p.m. for Vibrant Living on Unity Online Radio. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to help make your life more focused, more meaningful, and more vibrant. Do you have a specific issue or topic you'd like to discuss with Coach Carla? Call in toll-free Tuesdays at 3 p.m. during Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. been listening to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. If you have questions or comments about today's program, or if you'd like to join in on the discussion, email us at truthtransforms at unity.fm. Now back to Truth Transforms. How you doing? We're back with Truth Transforms. I do uh, want to say before we start that you can also watch Christ Universal Temple's services live online at www.cutemple.org. Uh, we stream live from 10.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. Check us out. Come hear a wonderful lesson by Reverend Wells. Listen to our choir. Fellowship with us. I think that would be great. Now, let's get to the book. We've covered a lot of material today. Um, and... I think it's really important that we recognize this. Now, one of the things he says on page 213 is about be ye perfect. And I did want to address that because I think that um, that scripture is taken out of context. And I think here, like many spiritual writers, we read a thing and we put our 21st century mind on it. Perfect in Jesus's language is meant to be mature or complete or all complete, all inclusive. Not this relative perfection that we think exists because i don't i don't know what that means exactly you know perfect in what sense uh if god is infinite is there ever such thing as completely expressing god i don't know you know i don't i don't right now have the thinking capacity to work with that but you know lord knows if god is infinite then i don't know how they could be a perfect expression of god because you always have more god to express now, if God has a boundaries, then I would assume that you can perfectly express anything that's that's confined or has limits. But if God is limitless, then we're limitless. We just keep expressing it greater and greater in greater and greater ways. If this is true, even Jesus is still evolving. True on that. Anyway, back to the book. Page 215, what did Jesus mean in Matthew 11, 14, when, when speaking of John the Baptist, he said, this is Elijah to come. Now, I addressed that earlier. Now, it, some can take it to mean that 
Jesus literally meant that Elijah came back as John the Baptist. Scholars take, take that to mean that Elijah's ministry was reflected in John the Baptist's ministry centuries later. I do know that John dressed and acted like Elijah. And I also know that we have no actual writings from people who actually studied under John the Baptist. John the Baptist was big time. Uh, you know, in, in the Gospels, it is, he's intentionally diminished by the writers because he had a competing movement even well after his death. John the Baptist was big time. Matter of fact, mo- you know, most scholars believe at one point or another that that Jesus was a, most likely a follower of John and that the writers later put it him as a person who came to prepare a way for Jesus, uh, making him Jesus's cousin that was born six months earlier and all of those things that he even uh, responded to Jesus in the womb. And, you know, I'm, I mustn't decrease. He must increase, et cetera. But if you actually go back and do some work with first century scholars, most of them will say John the Baptist was big time, but we don't view it that way. That's neither here nor there. Page 215. He says, uh, there's an interesting passage found in John 9, 2, where we read that a man born blind was brought to Jesus with the question, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the question is, how can a man be born sin and be born blind unless he was here before to sin to be born blind? That's a very good question. Because you have to realize also that in Jesus's culture, many times people believe that, as it's as said in Scripture, the sins of the parents have been visited upon the children. So when people saw things, sometimes they assumed that it, this was uh, the, 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 the sin be, or the punishment of it being expressed in their children. So that was a belief that was prevalent at that time. Jesus just kind of dismissed both of them. But the fact that the question was asked means that it had to have some validity in some people who actually believed that it was possible that the man was here before. Moving on. On page 216 and 217, he talks about, uh, you know, trying to give people the idea of the possibility that Jesus taught it. Then on page 217 about the different writers, uh, early church fathers and philosophers, etc., who actually believed in reincarnation. On page 217 at the bottom, he says, you may wonder, but if I have lived before, why don't I remember my past lives? You do, he said, he wrote. Character is memory. It is the cumulative distilled essence of your previous experience genius is memory the child prodigy reveals a prodigious memory of cumulative development but then he says all this is not proof that reincarnation is a fact i say there is no proof but neither is there proof against it now why is that the reason is anything that cannot be detected by the five senses or, or through machines that we currently understand uh, we wrestle with. There's no way to prove the fundamentalist viewpoint of heaven and hell. There's no way to view the the old Catholic viewpoint of purgatory. There's no way of proving the the uh, the fundamentalist Islamists who believes that you know they'll have you know the virgins in heaven when if they if if they do something heroic in the name of Islam, there's no way to prove any of it humanly. But we do know this, that Jesus taught the divinity of man, that Jesus taught God is eternal life, that Jesus taught that we're bigger than our, than our uh, flesh suits. And that's not diminishing the body. It's just recognizing that we're bigger than our physical attributes, we're bigger than our gender, we're bigger than our race, we're bigger than our uh, social economic class, we're bigger than, our na- than the nation we were born in, born in, we're bigger than all these human characteristics, we're bigger than all of that. And that's the key. So, so sometimes people put, you know, the emphasis on what, you know, what, what, what they're, 
all of these human things and then they try to prove the other stuff and those things become a matter of belief. I look at it simply this way. Now, I'm a person who believes that reincarnation is possible completely. It makes more sense to me than anything else that that I run across personally uh, from the new thought perspective of it. Many of it from what I read from Emmett Fox and some other stuff that I, I do my research, as you, hopefully you can tell by now. That being said, I put no emphasis on it because the only thing that matters for me is what I do now because what I do now will create my tomorrow. What type of consciousness do I have now? And if I believe that God is omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, then that is my awareness that today I'm in God and tomorrow I'll be in God and 50 years I'll be in God and how this body I'll be in God and if I get another body I'll be in God. If I never get another body I'll be in God. God is, God is, God is. That I know because I've experienced God. Therefore, it's not something that I have to be fearful of. It is the ego. It is the human personality that fears death because it believes that that uh, what it doesn't understand or detect isn't real in some way. So it fears the unknown. It's only the human conditioned you that's scared of what we call transition. It's the human conditioned you that's scared to lose who you think you are. See, the problem is who you think you are has shifted in this incarnation. How you thought and looked at life has changed from a newborn to a baby, to a toddler, to a small child, to from to a tween, to a teenager, to a young adult, to an adult, to a middle-aged adult, to a senior citizen. Your mindset changes your viewpoint changes. Your body changes. Your interests change. Your responsibilities change. You're not the same person that you were 20 years ago. Period. Your body's not the same body it was 20 years ago. And I, and I don't, that could be good or bad. And I mean that in human relative sense. There are some people who have better physiques at 50 than they did at 25 because they take care of themselves. They eat better. They they do things to take care of themselves and yoga and all that type of stuff that they didn't do when they were younger. Let me read this page 218. Butterworth says, man is a living soul. He is not a body. He has a body. If the body is laid aside... This is no way spells the end of man. It simply means that the eternal self, the soul, moves on to be clothed according to God's purpose. Hmm. That's what's key. He has a quote in here from his book, Life is for Living. And I think this is really good. He says, he's talking about life and life eternal. He says, a wave is the ocean expressing itself as a wave. It has form and shape and movement. It has identity, a uniqueness, yet it is nothing less than nothing more than the ocean. It is not even limited to a particular segment of ocean. It is a movement within the ocean, a projection of the ocean, which at the same time moves on and through the ocean. When the wave eventually crashes on the shore, where is the ocean water that formed the first swell? It is right back in the de deeps where it always was. And this leads to a key fact about life. Your life that seems to begin with birth and end with death is like one instant in the movement of the wave. And that instant, the wave is a particular part of the water. In your present life experience at this moment, life for you is your body and the particular cells of life that make up the organs and functions of your body. Life is not limited to your body. If the body temple should be laid aside and the experience we call death, this is not the end of you or of the movement of life that is being projected through you as you. The wave moves on. Where is the wave that appeared a hundred years farther out? You may find you may find the water that was at one moment expressing as the wave, but it simply returned to the placid ocean. The only place to find the wave that was is in the wave that is. And I'm not going to read the rest of it. 
So he ends basically the chapter talking about there's no doubt about it. Jesus taught that death is not the ultimate, not a goal, not a final experience. Death settles nothing, and there's no escape from the problems or limitations through its portals. Unfinished business must be carried over in some way. Unsolved problems must eventually be worked out. Spiritual development and treasures in heaven cannot be lost. So whatever you gain and grow through through consciousness, whatever you gain through lifetimes, he's saying, you keep with you. So whatever wins, whatever realizations, continue to push your soul onward and upward to a realization of who you are in God. That's how it works. With that, we're going to close. And next week, we're going to come back with the chapter, When Shall the Kingdom Come? Thank you. God bless you. And I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Join us every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for live discussions about how to live a spiritually transformed, prosperous, healthy, and joyful life. Truth Transforms, only on Unity Online Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. Online at www.cutemple.org and on Facebook and Twitter under CU Temple. notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Your friends at Unity invite you to reflect on these words from Rev. Jim Rosemurgy. Pause and take a deep breath. When you are ready, affirm silently to yourself. Sweet, sweet spirit, I desire a closer walk with you. Show me the way. I am listening. Take time now, in the silence, to get in touch with the spiritual guidance within you. Have faith that your next step, your unfolding, your spiritual growth, is coming to you in divine order through your spiritual instinct or your spiritual knowingness. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. What is the secret to happiness? Why do bad things happen to good people? What is our purpose in life? What must I do to bring healing into my life? Join Rev. Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday for a metaphysical romp. Explore fundamental unity principles put into action through real-life scenarios from people like you. Call him with your questions and spiritual challenges, and let Paul take you on a journey of profound personal understanding and transformation. That's Metaphysical Romp with Reverend Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. 
That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the Coach's Coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.